Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital, where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Greetings, CH Live. Wherever you are joining us from, we are so excited. There's a clap, a celebration for you coming from the room. So excited to have you with us today. I believe God can speak to you and change your life no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself. CH Live has been a godsend to all of us. Come on, in the last year, how amazing has that been? My name is David Wager, and my wife Melissa and I are part of the pastoral team here at Citizen Heights. And uh, I am so honored and privileged to have an opportunity to share with you uh, today. As we get started, though, I did want to take a chance. This is my first opportunity to publicly thank the creative and technical teams here at CH, at Citizen Heights. My goodness. Um, you know, when this all started a year ago, you guys had to tackle new challenges and learn two new technologies and to steadily improve and took CH Live and made it something amazing that we all benefited from. So thank you to everyone that is on those teams for all that you did to make this last year something where we could still feel like we were part of God's community. Amen. So we're continuing this morning our series, House of Miracles. I have so enjoyed this series. It's just so good to be reminded that, that not only did God perform miracles in the past, but that he still is the God of miracles today, to be reminded of the power of the cross, and that your home and my home can still be a house of miracles. I want to share today from a story that's found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. So that's Matthew and Mark and Luke. They all tell this story. Our reading comes from portions of both Mark and Luke. I've kind of combined them to tell the whole narrative. You can follow along in the church app or behind me on the screen. So we're going to read from portions of Mark 5, verses 21 to 34, and Luke 8, verses 40 to 48. And this is the New Living Translation. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? Everyone denied it. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. Then the frightened woman 
trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the powerful stories that are in it and the truths that we can be reve- that can be revealed to us from it, Father. I pray that as I preach today that you would anoint my words. I pray that you would anoint all of our hearts and our minds and our ears to be able to hear from you today. Change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This story has always been one of my favorites. There's just something about it that, that draws me. There's so much truth that's buried in it. And, and something that's so powerful about this anonymous woman whose life is truly transformed and changed by one touch from Jesus. You know, we start this story with Jesus, as usual, traveling from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake in a, in a boat, comes to the shore, and immediately on this shore, people begin to gather And a crowd begins to form, and he begins to teach. And here we meet the first character in our story, Jairus, comes to him and interrupts what Jesus is saying. In the middle of a sentence, kneels in front of him and says, with an urgent request, Jesus, my daughter is sick and dying. Will you please come and heal her? You know, interestingly, this happens Shortly after, a very similar request from a Roman centurion who came to Jesus said the same thing. My daughter is dying. Will you please, will you please heal her? Only in this situation, the Roman centurion said, but you don't need to travel to, to my daughter, Jesus. If you just say the word, I'm convinced that she will be healed. And in that story, Jesus commends the Roman centurion for his level of faith. In fact, saying nowhere in, in Israel is there such faith as this. In this story, Jesus doesn't condemn or criticize Jairus for his level of faith. Instead, he simply says, okay, I will travel to your daughter and we will heal her. As they're traveling, Jesus continues to teach. The crowd begins to press closer, not wanting to miss a word. This was not a socially distanced and polite crowd. There was no six feet of separation here. There were no masks being worn. Luke says Jesus was surrounded, pressed in on all sides, crowded and pressed against. And it's in this setting that we meet an unnamed woman. We learn very little about her, just that she has been suffering for a very long time, 12 long years, this desperate unnamed woman. Suffering from an illness and and pursuing treatment from everywhere she could find. Not only had she not been cured, but Mark tells us that in fact she has gotten worse. You know, my career, I have met many people with this degree of suffering. And and there's no end of the things that, that people won't do, the stories they won't listen to, and the things they won't try just to be relieved of the suffering that they are enduring. And it's in this place that we find her. You know, she's heard stories of this Jesus. She's heard of the lives that Jesus has changed. Maybe even knows some people who have been healed by this Jesus. And, and, and there's a glimmer of hope that has begun to stir in her hearts. And, and we can hear her saying, maybe, just maybe. In Mark's account of the story, we, we hear the inner thoughts of this desperate woman. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I will be healed. 
This is not a woman who even thought as enough of herself to interrupt Jesus as Jairus had. She didn't make an open request to him. She was shy, meek, humiliated, desperate, so very desperate. To understand the full scope of this story, we have to have a little bit of cultural context. And, and certainly in most parts of the world at this time, and definitely in Jewish culture and, and in Roman culture, just because she was a woman, she was already at a disadvantage, having no place of power. But even more than that, the condition that she suffered from made her a social outcast. She couldn't touch anyone. In fact, if, if a man accidentally touched her, he would have to go to uh, the local synagogue for ceremonial cleansing. So for 12 long years, this woman had been an outcast, unable to participate in society. Even things she sat on or touched, the next person that sat on those or touched those things, her uncleanness would be transferred to them. Think of the crowds that, that you've been in. I know it seems like an eternity ago, but maybe at a Nats game, or in line for the metro after a busy day at work, or the National Mall on July 4th, or worse yet, Costco the week before Thanksgiving. Now, crowds don't tend to bother me too much. I, I think maybe it's my height. I can kind of see over a lot of people and, and sort of plan and predict and kind of see where I'm going to go. And, and um, people tend to kind of give me a little bit of room. But my wife, Melissa, tells me it's not that way for her. I think some of that is because she is kinder and gentler. But it's also, I think, because she just can't see over people. And so when she gets packed into a crowd, she's stuck seeing backs and shoulders and necks. And, and, and it's hard for her to see where she's going and, and, and try and navigate her way through. And, and I imagine it was like that for this woman in our story. Pressing, planning, pushing, hoping to jet through any small crack of daylight that she could find just to touch the tassel coming off the hem of his robe. Going back to the narrative of Mark, we see that she finally achieves her goal and reaches the hem of his garment. The Bible says that instantly her bleeding stopped and she could tell that she had been healed. What an amazing moment. And then, to this poor woman's horror, Jesus stops and asks, who touched me? Can you imagine what's going through her thoughts in this moment? In her mind, she's been healed, with, which is great, but she has also contaminated Jesus and made him unclean. What a mix of emotions must be going through her at this moment. I don't know if you're familiar with the personality test, the Enneagram, but if you are, I imagine this woman as a nine. Very comfortable with her anonymity. Peace at, 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 at any cost, not wanting to disrupt anything. Thinking that her opinion didn't really matter enough to even make her request known again as Jairus had. But here we are, Jesus asking her to step from her anonymity into the forefront. And admit what she's done. At first, though, she stays silent. Terrified of what might happen should she come forward. After an awkward pause, we see Peter. Of course, it's Peter, right? Peter's saying, um, Jesus, this is a big crowd. Like, I, 
I don't know if you're aware of what's going on here, but what do you mean someone touched you? I mean, you're, we're, there's dozens, hundreds of people. You've, you've touched everyone. What, what do you mean who touched you? And Jesus responds to Peter, no, Peter, someone deliberately touched me. So as to say, someone, someone demanded something of me. Some, some, someone reached to draw for my strength. This was no ordinary jostle in the crowd. This was the pursuing touch of one desperate for a response from Jesus. And the grammar in this story indicates that Jesus at this point is probably looking directly at this woman. And so we see for the first time that this anonymous woman is brought to the forefront, coming to light, being brought to the front. She realizes she can no longer stay hidden. Out of terror and respect, she falls to her knees in front of Jesus, telling him what has happened, telling her story, the desperate condition that she found herself in, the loss of income and wealth, loss of community and relationship, and how she was now healed. We see next in Jesus' response to her what we see countless times in his life. Daughter, Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. He calls her daughter. Name of closeness and intimacy. Not the generic woman, not unclean one, not outcast one, but daughter. My daughter. What relief must have rushed through her at hearing Jesus' voice call her that? No chastisement, no correction, no accusation or retribution, but instead a welcoming of her to the family, a rejoining of her to be a part of what she had been cast out of. What a powerful story. You know, as I ponder and think about this story, I'm struck with what was different about this woman that resulted in her receiving the miracle? What was different with her versus everyone else in the crowd where she received her miracle? I have three observations from this story that I want to draw our attention to. The first is that the miracle happens in Jesus' response to her expectation. Someone deliberately touched me, Jesus says. But again, how many people had touched Jesus in the crowd? How many had jostled and bumped up against him? What was so different about her interaction with Jesus that she was the one who received her miracle? I, I imagine that she wasn't the only one in that crowd that needed a miracle that day. There were probably others that were desperate, maybe not as desperate as her, but still needed a miracle in their life. But there was something about her where she received the miracle. And I, th I think that one of the things that distinguished her from everyone else was her sense that if she were just able to touch Jesus, that she would be healed. You know, when I evaluate my own life, it's, I, I find that it's very easy for me sometimes to get caught up in almost the religiosity of my relationship with Jesus. And, and I'll, I'll come to church regularly, which is great, but, but I don't necessarily carry with me a sense of expectation for what does God want to do in my life and through my life today. 
You know, and I may even read my Bible or, or pray or any of the other spiritual disciplines, which again are awesome and important. But, but if, I, if I miss out on that sense of expectation, what does God want to do today? How does God want to interact with me today? What change does God want to produce in my life today? What does God want to do through me today? What might I be missing out of? And it's really an attitude shift that she displays that I'm encouraged to emulate. The crowd was following Jesus. The crowd was listening to Jesus, maybe even interacting with him a little bit. But she received her miracle. Her expectation was that something great was about to happen. And Jesus' response to that expectation was to perform a miracle in her life. The second observation that I have is that the miracle happens in Jesus' response to her imperfect faith. You know, she definitely had some faith. She had expectation and some hope that Jesus was, was going to heal her, but it was not perfect faith. There was almost a sense of mysticism to her faith where she, she almost had more faith in the robe than, than in Jesus himself. And, and I'm sure that if we were to interview uh, her, she, she would have an inadequate view of who Jesus was and an inadequate understanding of, of how he would heal her and why he would heal her and, and who he was. And, and we see also in this story that Jairus' faith was, in a sense, weaker than the centurion's faith. And yet both Jairus and this woman received their miracle even through their imperfect faith. And, and the reality here is that, that while we, ha- we have to have faith, it's not our faith that heals us. It's not on our responsibility and our strength to be healed. It, it's not our faith that heals us. It's whom our faith is in that brings the healing. And we, we see in Zechariah 4 verse 6, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And, and it is whom our faith that it is in that produces the miracle. And on that day, she had faith. It was imperfect faith. Jairus had faith, imperfect faith. But the faith was in Jesus who wanted to produce a miracle in their lives. And, and Jesus' response even to their imperfect faith was to produce a miracle. And the third Uh, observation that I have is that the miracle happens in Jesus' response to her desperation. This was truly a desperate woman. She had probably lost everything. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details, but we can infer a lot. We can infer a lot from the story. For 12 years, she'd been unable to participate in society, a social outcast. Even in a crowd, she was alone. Have you ever felt that way? Unseen, anonymous, not valued, unwelcomed, afraid. She was deeply aware that even if her presence were noticed, she would only face shame at best and physical abuse and banishment at worst. But Jesus calls her out. Someone touched me, he says, likely looking at her, seen, maybe for the first time in a decade. Remember that just her touch would make someone unclean. By tradition, men wouldn't even look at her for fear that that look would transmit uncleanness to them. But here Jesus is, looking at her, addressing her, shining a light on her, responding lovingly and caringly to her desperation. Full of fear, trembling, she falls on her knees in front of Jesus. 
afraid of what Jesus will say, concerned that her banishment will continue and that maybe once he realizes what has happened that she might even reverse her healing. But instead, after hearing the desperate description of all that she had endured, Jesus' response is, daughter, your faith has made you whole. That word whole is a powerful word in the Greek. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And most of the time, it's actually translated to save. And, and what the word literally means is to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to save a suffering one from perishing, to make well, to heal, to restore to health, to preserve one who is in danger of destruction, to save or to rescue. It's the same word that Jesus uses in, in Luke 19, verse 10, where he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So what we see at the end of this powerful story is really the fulfillment of Christ's purpose for coming. We see that the full miracle, more than just the healing of her physical body, which is amazing, it's the restoration of her soul. It's the restoration of her life to community, to relationship, to fellowship with humanity, and even more importantly, to fellowship with God. You know, she was afraid that her touch was going to make Jesus unclean. But instead, Jesus' touch made her whole. I recently had the honor of observing Passover with a friend of mine who is Jewish and also a Christian. And I learned that evening that in Jewish tradition, there is a concept called dayenu. It doesn't translate to an English word directly, uh, but you can translate it in the phrase, it would have been enough. And the idea for Passover is that it would have been enough if God had delivered the Israelites from slavery but he also took them to the Red Sea. It would have been enough if he took them to the Red Sea, but he also parted the waters. It, it would have been enough if he had parted the waters, but he also closed the waters to destroy the Egyptian army. It would have been enough, but God also. And in, in our story today, it would have been enough if he had healed her body, but he also made her whole. It would have been enough if he had made her whole, but he also restored her to relationship with community. It would have been enough if he had restored her to relationship with community, but he also restored her to relationship with him. It would have been enough, but God also. And the reality is, is that God is not in the, it would have been enough business. He is in the but God also business. And we see that in Ephesians 3 verses 20 where it, where it says that he wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says it this way. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we bring to him a sense of expectation and we bring to him our, our imperfect faith and, and, and we come to him wherever we find ourselves, whatever level of desperation that we have and, and we can know full well that it's not on us, it's not on our own strength, it's on him in the end and, and, and he's the author, he 
gives us the seed, and he's also the finisher of our faith. That, that word there is he brings us to a point of completion. From beginning to end, he is there in our story. Wherever you find yourself today, where are you desperate for a miracle? Where do you need that touch from Jesus? Are you alone? Are you afraid? Physically or emotionally spent and exhausted? In Jesus, we can find the miracle. One who is always ready to respond to our expectation, our imperfect faith, and our desperate need. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? There's two groups of people that I would like to pray for. First, I, I imagine that there are those among us today that need a miracle. As you hear this story, you realize that there are areas in your life, maybe even ones that you've given up on, that you need Jesus' touch. If that's you, grab onto this prayer with faith. Father, we thank you that you still are the God of miracles, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, I pray for those among us that are in need of a miracle today, that are desperate, that are crying out to you, whether it's loss of relationship, whether it's finances, whether it's healing, whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would bring your miracle, Father, that, that, that we would see the response that, that, that this woman saw from Jesus. God, that you would bring healing where healing is needed, that you would open doors, that you would provide jobs, that you would bring restoration of, of relationship. Father, we pray that you would do that. The second group I would like to pray for is, is for those that, as you hear this story, you realize that, that you've not really started your relationship with Jesus, but you would like to. No matter who you are, no matter what your past or present reality is, Jesus wants to respond to you today. Jesus wants to bring you into community with him. So if that's you, join with me, with all of us as we pray. Repeat after me today. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. I want to have relationship with you. Please forgive me of my sin. Please be the Lord of my life. Now boldly say, I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen.